This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, with more than 100 degree programs offered in four locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com. Good evening from Charleston, I'm Eric Douglas. Welcome back to West Virginia Public Broadcasting Series, The Legislature Today. West Virginians got to weigh in on Monday on a controversial piece of legislation. As June Leffler reports, pro-life and pro-choice residents spoke to an abortion bill at a public hearing in front of state lawmakers. And we'll hear from two West Virginia economists about the pandemic's impact on jobs and workforce participation in the state. But before we get to that, reporter Liz McCormick is going to wrap up news from week two of the legislative session. The second week of the 2022 West Virginia legislative session began with recognizing the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr., as well as a public hearing on two abortion bills. But this week also saw the House and Senate chambers pass their first pieces of legislation in this regular session. The House of Delegates on Wednesday considered its first bills on third reading. House Bill 4059 would exempt newly hired deputy commissioners with the Department of Health and Human Resources from civil service. The bill passed the House 95 to 5. Across the rotunda in the West Virginia Senate on Thursday, senators passed Senate Bill 244, which would clean up some language signed into law last year that created an intermediate court of appeals. Floor sessions didn't last very long this week because most of the work is happening in committees. On Thursday in Senate Finance, lawmakers considered one of this year's major bills. Senate Bill 1 would create a mining mutual insurance insurance company for coal mine operators and coal mine reclamation bonds. Lawmakers and committee heard from Senate President Craig Blair, who is the bill's lead sponsor and who noted that he doesn't normally sponsor bills. I'm making an exception this year and they ended up with the number of Senate Bill 1 because I believe that when this is over and done with, and it might be five or ten years from now, it will provide it, uh, an insurance policy for the state of West Virginia and the mining industry in this state. Blair told senators that the bill is not a bailout for the state, but rather an insurance policy of $50 million to protect the state. The bill passed out of committee unanimously and will now be considered by the full Senate. Also this week, the Senate Economic Development Committee passed Senate Bill 51, which would reinstate the West Virginia film tax credit. In 2018, the credit was repealed by the legislature after a legislative audit deemed the credit as providing only minimal economic impact. Delegate Diana Graves, a Republican from Kanawha County, has long been an advocate for fixing the film tax credit. She told senators and committee that she worked closely with the bill's lead sponsor, Senator Patricia Rucker, to perfect it. The bill would restore the credit with a $10 million cap. All the other states, including our neighboring states, are capitalizing on it. When you look at the film tax, and some of these states had eliminated their film tax and brought it back 
They were just a little quicker to bring it back than, than what we were to, to capitalize on that. Hulu and Amazon Prime are looking at hundreds of millions of dollars going into economies. They won't even look here without the film tax credit. Senate Bill 51 passed out of committee and will now be considered by Senate Finance. In education news in the House of Delegates, the House Education Committee passed House Bill 4071 this week. The bill would prohibit West Virginia Public Schools, the West Virginia Schools for the Deaf and the Blind, and any appointed or elected county school officials from requiring masks of students or employees. Parents or guardians would have the sole authority on whether a child should be masked in school. The bill is now awaiting consideration in the House Judiciary Committee. Also in education, the Senate Education Committee passed Senate Bill 261 on Thursday. The bill would strengthen a 2019 law that requires cameras in special education classrooms. Kanawha County parents Craig and Beth Bowden testified that their son was abused in September. Beth Bowden says her son and others in his class were slapped across the face or thrown to the floor by their teacher. Without that law, None of this abuse would have been caught. However, what we now know is that these cameras are not stopping the abuse. Senators adopted two amendments to the bill, one that creates accountability to ensure videos are being reviewed at least every 90 days, and another that would no longer require schools to delete footage, but rather to keep all videos for at least a year. Senate Bill 261 passed unanimously out of committee and now heads to the full Senate. For the legislature today, I'm Liz McCormick. Thank you, Liz. As of Friday afternoon, more than 1,400 bills have been introduced this session. Earlier this week, West Virginia Public Broadcasting's energy and environment reporter Curtis Tate spoke with economist John Deskins of West Virginia University and Sean O'Leary of the West Virginia Center on Budget and Policy. They discussed the pandemic's impact on jobs and workforce participation in the state. They also talked about the legislature's incentive package for steelmaker Nucor. John Deskins, Sean O'Leary, welcome gentlemen. Thanks thank, for having me. Thank you, glad to be here. Well, uh, John Deskins, you just gave a speech to the state legislature about the, uh, the overall picture of West Virginia's economy. Can you give us some highlights from that? Sure. We have a lot of positives taking place in our economy right now, and we still have a lot of long-term economic development challenges as well. So here this morning, I was you know, here to talk about both of those you know, good things and the bad things. I just will say the big picture headline is this. When COVID hit in West Virginia, we lost about 94,000 jobs. That amounts to 14% of all the jobs in West Virginia. We've seen job loss like that before, a couple times in our economic history, but we've never seen 14% job loss over the course of just two or three months. Entirely unprecedented. But here we are almost two years after COVID hit, and we've gained back about 73,000 of the 94,000 jobs that we lost. So, you know, you can take a glass half full or a glass half empty approach. Uh, it's a good thing that we've gained back 73,000 of those jobs, but we still have about 21,000 jobs yet to go before we have fully recovered from COVID. And, you know, the forecasting that we do in my office, we think it's gonna take until the second half of this year before we have fully recovered, before we can go on to uh, think about further growth beyond where we were in January, 2020. Uh, and Sean O'Leary, um, there was some really big uh, economic development news in West Virginia over the past week. Uh, uh, the the, uh, the new core steel plant that's uh, going to be sited in Mason County, the Green Power bus electric bus manufacturing facility in South Charleston. Um, with the new core, uh, 
investment. Um, that uh, prompted state lawmakers to, uh, to, to push through a very big incentive package for, for that company. Um, can, you, can you tell us a little bit about that, about the pros and cons of the approach that they took to, to, to bring those jobs to West Virginia? Absolutely. I mean, we, we definitely want jobs in West Virginia. We want to see economic development. We want to see our people getting back to work. But it seems to be disappointing that our strategy is to just give away everything that we can. You know, we're, we're giving away, in effect, um, you know, $300, $300 million of, of our, you know, ARPA recovery money that was meant to help the struggling people in West Virginia, our struggling businesses, and help us recover and gain back those 20,000 jobs that we're still two years later trying to get back. And on top of that, we're basically telling this company that they're never going to pay taxes. They're not going to pay income tax. They're not going to pay sales tax. And it's very likely they're not going to pay property tax. That's a really low road to economic development. That, that's giving away. That's not investing. That's not building. That's not a strategy that's sustainable. You know, what are we going to offer the next company when on the table right now is everything? Um, it, it, you know, it's great to have jobs and it's great to, you know, we, we're going to hope that as many of those jobs go to West Virginians as they can. We know economic development doesn't stop at the border, so we know that Ohio is going to get a lot of that economic benefit, but they're not giving up quite what we're giving up to get that economic benefit. So it would be great to have these jobs. It's going to be great. It's going to be great to have development, but it'll be great if we could develop an economic development strategy that built, that built our education system, that built our infrastructure, that invested in the state and its people and made us an attractive place without having to give away a billion dollars. Um, John Deskins, you've, uh, you've written a lot about the uh, the impact that the state's coal industry has on the economy and and the uh, the, the jobs and the, the tax revenues and um, uh, you know the salaries that it supports. Um, while we've reported and others have reported that the coal production is currently up, um, do, what what, are, what is the long term trend for that? What do you what do you see happening? Is it sustainable? And you know, are there are there other uh, ways that that uh, that uh, West Virginia can maintain its uh, its status in terms of, of energy production. Sure. Just a little bit of background is this. So a recent high for coal production was in 2008. There we were producing about 150 or 160 million tons of coal. But that number had fallen to about 95 million tons just before COVID. So 155 or so down to 95. But then COVID really hurt coal production in 2020. Matter of fact, in the middle of 2020, if you look at the rate of coal production that we saw then, you'd have to go back to 1918, over 100 years, to see a level of coal production in West Virginia that was that low if you ignore a couple of years that were affected by strikes, which is a different issue. Now, coal production has rebounded over the last year and a half or so, but it hasn't gotten back to where it did in 2019. And we think it's unlikely that coal production will get back to that 2019 level. We do see continued improvements in coal over the next six months or so, but we think that after a year, after a couple of years, we will return to that path of long-term gradual erosion as the country moves away from coal as a source of electric power generation. Coal still creates jobs, it still creates income, it still creates tax revenue for West Virginia, but it's just not as big as it was years ago. Um, we have to focus on industrial diversification. It's not that I want to take away energy in any way. I'm fine with energy, but we have to have strength in multiple sectors of the economy. Right? A healthy economy is a diversified economy. So if one sector suffers, you have other sectors that are growing that can pick up that slack that's caused by the sector that suffered. Industrial diversification has to be a high priority to find an industrial mix that's healthy and robust for West Virginia for the long run. Sean O'Leary. 
Could you talk to us a little bit about this year's budget? Yeah, so again, we're seeing again a, a flat year with the budget. I think we're being incredibly cautious with the revenue projections. Apparently, there are unofficial and official revenue estimates, um, and, and no one's quite sure how to handle um, what has happened the past the past 18 months with, with all the Federal Recovery Act, with the stimulus checks, with enhanced unemployment benefits that have pumped billions and billions and billions into the state's economy. That's really kind of thrown a wrench into not just the state's tax revenue, but states across the country where revenues are performing really, really well compared to what you would expect with a state being down 20,000 jobs. So, so we're seeing a, a very, very cautious approach to, to the budget, which is good in one sense that, you know, we're, we're not, you know, um, you know, slashing taxes or using the, the, uh, the surplus as an excuse to, 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 to you know, go crazy in the budget. But also, we're a state with a lot of needs. We're a state with a lot of needs. We know, we know, you know, uh, previous budget projections showed that we had big holes to fill in the Medicaid program. We had big holes to fill in the PEI program. And, and you know, we're not making those investments right now to, to, to take care of those things. We're not, you know, making any real new investments in workforce and in infrastructure that we would want to be making if we want to be able to attract these businesses to the state that we wouldn't have to give away major tax incentives to make that happen. So we're in a very kind of new territory when it comes to our budget. And I, I think we're being a little extra cautious, which is not terrible right now. But I do think there's some room to make some investments that, that we're, we're not taking advantage of right now. As far as you know, is the, uh, the, the state income tax repeal on the table? You know, I don't have a, a close working relationship with Governor Justice or Senator Blair, but I have not heard um, much, much uh, noise on, on that issue. Okay. Um, well, uh, John Deskins, of course, you know that, le that last year, um, uh, Gail Manchin, uh, Senator Joe Manchin's wife, was appointed to be the, the federal co-chair of the Appalachian Regional Commission. And of course, the commission has been around for a long time, and, and it has facilitated a, a lot of uh, different kind of, kinds of investments um, in Appalachia. Uh, do, do you see uh, her role there as, as benefiting uh, West Virginia in a way that, that, that perhaps it, uh, it wouldn't if, if somebody else had taken that position? No, I think it's important to have her there. I think it can benefit West Virginia in many ways. I mean, right now we have an unprecedented once-in-a-generation wave of federal dollars coming into West Virginia. And one of the things I talked about here earlier is that we can't squander that money. This is a very rare opportunity, and we have to invest this money to make West Virginia more attractive more attractive to potential businesses and more productive over the long term. We have to invest this money to make us more productive 5, 10, 20 years from now. We can't invest this money in a way that, that we just have a short-term boost, but no long-term sustainable gain. Uh, some of that money comes through other entities in Washington. Some of that money comes from the Appalachian Regional Commission. So I think this is actually a very important time to have uh, Mrs. Manchin there, and I'm, uh, I think we should be happy that she's there. What's the magic formula um, for leveraging these, these kinds of investments? You know, uh, I think of uh, things like broadband and education and workforce development. Um, you know, there is a little bit of, of hard infrastructure that, that the commission uh, is involved with, with, the, with highways. What, what's the, what, what's the, the, the key to success there? Well, I wish I knew. I wish I knew the key to success. I just know we have to put our heads together and be very careful and think long term. Like, I think the, you brought up broadband. I think that's a pretty good example of the kind of long term investment that we need to make because, you know, broadband has changed so quickly from being a luxury 
item that only a few households had in the mid-1990s to an absolutely essential element for economic development today. Nobody's going to move to an area without good broadband service. It's a deal breaker for economic development in so many ways. So investing in that kind of um, area that makes us more productive and more attractive to potential businesses, I think, is very important. We have to be so careful. All right, well, gentlemen, we've got uh, just a little bit under two minutes left. I guess I, I might just ask uh, uh, both of you to, um, to kind of get, give us a summary uh, uh, of, of your thoughts today about our discussion and about any, anything else maybe that you think uh, uh, we didn't bring up. Uh, Sean O'Leary, do you want to start? Yeah, I think, you know, overall, just the, the state's economy and, and, and the state budget and as a whole is on the path to recovery. Um, I think this year might be a little more challenging than we might expect. We, we You know, all of the federal aid seems to be behind us, and it seems like, you know, congressional gridlock might be keeping any more of that from coming. So, you know, right off the bat, we know, you know, the, the enhanced child tax credit's not coming this month, and that had given close to half a billion dollars to West Virginians. So that that's going to be, a, there's, there might be, you know, a, a little risk of a slowdown. We've already started to see our job numbers sort of slow down in the second half of the year. Um, you know, but we're, we're, we're moving in the right direction, and we, we need to be taking the steps to make sure we keep moving in that right direction. All right, John Deskins, you want to close us out? Sure. We have reasons to be optimistic in West Virginia, but we also have challenges. One thing that we haven't discussed today is one of our biggest challenges. It's the fact that we have the lowest rate of labor force participation in the country. The share of the adult population uh, the share of the adult population in West Virginia that is working or wants to work is 50th among the 50 states. And the reasons for this deficit are, to a large extent, issues around education and training, workforce preparedness, health, and drug abuse. And so fighting those long-term challenges relative to human capital is very important to making West Virginia more prosperous and more attractive to potential businesses over the long term. That's one of our biggest challenges that we have to constantly push towards improving education and health, uh, education and training, health, and the drug abuse problem. All right, well, uh, John Deskins, Sean O'Leary, thank you both for coming on today. I'm sure we'll, we'll continue this discussion. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thanks for that, Curtis. Two days into the legislative session, two bills were introduced into the House of Delegates that, if passed, will restrict access to abortions in the Mountain State to 15 weeks. West Virginians on Monday had the opportunity to speak at a public hearing on the issue. Reporter June Leffler was there and brings us this story. Concerned citizens took to the podium on the floor of the House of Delegates at a public hearing regarding House Bill 4004, which would ban abortions performed after 15 weeks of pregnancy. A Baptist preacher from Mason County, Bo Burgess, says he is pro-life and supports the measure. All of us here today have a, an impact and a role and an influence that we, we play in life. And if your mother or my mother chose to abort our lives, we would not be here today. This, would, this hall would not be filled with the faces that I see today. 80-year-old Kanawha County resident Rita Ray opposes the legislation. She says she obtained an abortion in 1959 before the procedure was legal. History tells us that women will always find a way to terminate a pregnancy. The question is, do you want West Virginia women and girls to get this procedure in medically safe conditions, or will you drive them to desperate measures? The local and regional chapters of the American Civil Liberties Union and Planned Parenthood have spoke out against the measure. 
Republican Delegate Ruth Rowan of Hampshire County is the lead sponsor of the bill. She says her daughter had a complicated pregnancy. Rowan's grandson did survive and is now 17. I just think how close we were to losing him and knowing how hard he fought to live. And that just made me aware of just how precious life is. With a Republican supermajority in the state house, the bill has a good shot at becoming law. Katie Quinones says West Virginia has a history of passing legislation that further restricts access to abortion. She is executive director of Women's Health Center of West Virginia, the last abortion clinic in the state. It's incredibly difficult to get an abortion in the state of West Virginia. West Virginia lawmakers have chipped away at abortion access for minors, rural residents seeking the abortion pill, and low-income women. Up until 2018, state Medicaid paid for the $500 to $1,200 procedure. Now it doesn't. Quinones says these state mandates build on other time, financial, and travel constraints. Not to mention the potential for, you know, a lost day's work wages to come get your abortion, um, having to find child care because we know that the majority of people who access abortion are already parents themselves. Um, and also, if you lack reliable transportation, it could be incredibly difficult just to make it to the clinic to get the care that you need. Pro-choice advocates say these barriers are most apparent for minority, rural, and low-income women. Women's Health Center of West Virginia provided abortions for about 1,300 patients last year. But some abortions are performed in hospitals, usually under medically high-risk circumstances. Ann Benfield is an OBGYN at Davis Medical Center in Elkins and vice chair of the State American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, which opposes House Bill 4004. Um, most women, when they have reached that 50 mark, Beyond that, they have been planning to have a pregnancy or they have chosen to continue a pregnancy. And in many cases, they are now being met with news that's not what anyone ever wants to hear. The bill says an abortion is okay if a woman's life is in danger or the fetus has no chance at surviving. But Banfeld says those circumstances aren't black and white. They're complex and evolve over time. A doctor might delay abortion care to fall in line with state code, even if there are already signs that the pregnancy could become high risk. Was it yet an emergency? Is it enough of an emergency now? Is this the time that it's the emergency that we need to deal with immediately? Or is it not? And those are situations that are very challenging. Other Republican-controlled states have attempted similar measures. Mississippi currently has a 15-week abortion ban on the books. The state cannot enforce it and instead has taken its case to the U.S. Supreme Court. A decision in that case is expected this summer. Delegate Moore Capito of Kanawha County chairs the House Judiciary Committee, which is next to take up the bill. He says that legal limbo will be considered to an extent. Uh, the outcome of that uh, will obviously have some impact on the disposition of this law uh, were it to carry through both bodies and be signed by the governor. But that's, um, but that's not something novel uh, that we have done. We've done those things before. As far as going down a road, I think uh, we go down roads all the time. The bill's sponsor sees no reason to wait. We need to start somewhere. And in saying that, Mississippi's done it, and we can do it too. And I feel the more people that will stand up for our children, our babies, the better. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm June Leffler.
Thank you, June. For our last story this evening, Randy Yowie has been filing daily reports from the legislature that we are airing on television and radio. Here's a story he filed earlier this week about Workforce West Virginia. Here at the legislature, they're presenting the new budget for Workforce West Virginia, highlighting 40 million new dollars for software upgrades. Acting Workforce West Virginia Commissioner Scott Atkins says, when pandemic numbers of unemployed shot from a few thousand a month to 100,000, their 40-year-old computer system overloaded, making it time to modernize. You can't do a lot of stuff with, with your phone or, or a laptop, so it makes it labor-intensive really to provide adequate services to the folks in West Virginia who need it. Raleigh County's Republican Senator Roland Roberts chairs the Workforce West Virginia Committee. He says the agency has had a terrible track record and agrees it needs help, but questions the price tag. As they justify that, and, and I will certainly get behind it and endorse that. The pandemic opened up unemployment to massive fraud, a problem still lingering here in West Virginia. So there's a bill being considered right now to create a West Virginia Unemployment Fraud Investigation Unit. Where we can hire law enforcement officers who will carry a, carry a weapon potentially, have subpoena and warrant powers. Adkins and Roberts want to see legislation passed to have job seekers on unemployment do five job searches a week instead of just the one now required. Sometimes I think people wait till hunting season and then they conveniently are unemployed and then they go back later on. Atkins says Workforce West Virginia will also ramp up its efforts. A lot more case management and getting folks to the, to the, uh, to the right job. This year, overhauling Workforce West Virginia is a big job in itself. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie. Thanks for that story, Randy. Next Friday, we'll have more news and interviews from the 2022 legislative session. But remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting is covering the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our website at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and the Senate on the West Virginia Channel, and we stream those on our website. The legislature today is simulcast on both television and radio every Friday night at 6. I'm Eric Douglas. For everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, thanks for joining us and have a great weekend.